chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just paused this morning, and Lord, I know that in my head and my heart, there's just so much swirling. I imagine that many of us are feeling this this morning. That life just seems totally out of disarray. So odd, so uncertain in so many areas of our life. I uh, just think even as school went back this past week, and yet everything feels different. Uh, Lord, would you come and meet us in these moments as we come to your word? Would you, uh, Lord, give us anchor? Would you solidify us? Would you root us in your truth? Would you bring light unto our path through your word? And would we behold and see Jesus? Lord, we need you this morning. Would you come and draw near and speak to us, your people? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So a question, kids, to get us started uh, this morning. Do you ever get scared? You ever been scared before? You ever get scared about things? What are some of the things that you fear or get scared of or worry about? Levi. What was it? I couldn't hear. Okay, exactly what Jesus says not to worry about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he talks about some things there, like basic needs. You worry about not having basic needs. Okay, anybody else? I wonder if I'll hear from my kids, because I know every night there's a monster under the bed. Any other thoughts? So the reality is, well, what about nightmares? Anybody afraid of nightmares? And yes, thank you. I saw some adult hands go up. Thank you. Like, we have nightmares, don't we? I have nightmares while I'm awake. I have certain nightmares in my life 
that always seem to linger. You know, this morning we're talking about, you know, as we're moving through the Sermon on the Mount, we're talking about Jesus' teaching on wor- uh, fear and worry. And man, I got to tell you, I was excited about this one. As we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount, we get to this one, I'm like, all right, now I feel like the expert here. I feel like an expert on this subject, on fear and worry and anxiety. Not because I got it figured out. I feel like an expert in this area because I know personally all about this. I, even from the youngest age that I can even remember, have been a person who has struggled with fear and worry and anxiety. It's just been a part of my existence. And I think in so many ways, just not even understanding, wait a minute, I'm worrying right now, because it's just kind of how I function. To be living on edge, to be always imagining what could go wrong. Even from the earliest age, I think some of that was rooted just in my own story and in my own childhood. But there's one nightmare in particular that tends to linger. I actually have a few, but I'm going to mention this one for you. Just to give you an idea of my heart and my story. For some reason, there's this one kind of ruling fear in my life. And I don't know where exactly it came from, but it's just been there all of my life. And the fear is this. It's the fear of losing a child. It's hard to even say it out loud. Because for me, it's been so real all of my life. Just a terror. And, and sometimes it will come as, as images or ideas or pictures of watching a child die. And I don't know where it came from, but it seems to always be there. And a part of what it does on my life is it makes me worry about my children. Worry about what could potentially happen to them. You know, there was a couple years ago whenever my youngest son, Bo, uh, I think at the time he was, when this began to happen, he was uh, between two and three. But he got some strange infection deep in the tissue of his neck. And, um, and it, it, it made him very lethargic. His neck uh, was very swollen. It was a very dangerous infection. And this, it was a very rare thing. And the doctors didn't understand it as it came. And as we walked through this, uh, I was absolutely terrified. And the thing is, this thing happened like three times. And the doctors... They couldn't explain it. It was a very dangerous infection. Now, the doctors never told us, hey, we really think his life is in danger. But because of this nightmare in my life, because of this deep-seated fear in my life, it just took me there. And it just gripped me. And it was some of the scaredest I've ever been in my life. Now, in hearing that, you might not relate to that. You might be like, hey, you know, I don't really worry a lot. I don't really have a lot of fears in my life. But let me just do this for a minute. Let me just kind of paint the subject of what we're talking about here. Let me name some different things. And maybe as I name this, you might begin to say, well, wait a minute, maybe I'm in there a little bit. Maybe Jesus has something to say to me this morning. So when we're talking about fear and worry, we're talking about all kinds of things. We want to put them all into this category. We're talking about things like anxiety. We're talking about things like um, uh, panic attacks. I don't know if... I've never had a panic attack, but I'm quite certain I could work myself into one really quickly. Panic attacks is this kind of 
panic coming over you where it literally seizes your whole body. It's like a physiological reality that overtakes you for seemingly no reason at all. We're, we're talking about things like uh, PTSD. We're talking about things like stress. I mean, what more could describe our lives right now? We always say that. Stress, stress is this reality of having too much to do in too little of time, which is like the description of life in our day. We're, we're talking about uh, the fear of what other people think about us. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the fear of not having enough or the fear financially of not being able to make ends meet. We're talking about uh, this preoccupation with our reputation. We're talking about all these different areas. We're talking about OCD. We throw that around a lot, right? You know, OCD is this, I know this experience too, okay? OCD is this kind of, it's like worry run amok. It's like having an obsessive thought or idea in your head that you obsess about, and so you compulsively do something to try to relieve the fear. And so you're doing it over and over and over, and it's kind of irrational, but it's things that you compulsively do to try to calm a fear in your mind. Do you know that reality? You know, probably one in 50 are severe OCD, but I bet every single one of us is somewhere on the spectrum obsessing and then compulsively trying to do things to manage the fear in our life. And then just to talk about the difficulty that we have being alone. You know, we are so overstimulated in our day. You know, we got these little cell phones and I, I'm not sure that we have five minutes in a whole day where we are not distracted by something. You know, I don't know what you do, but used to, if I was in a moment where I had to wait on something, I would just sit there alone with myself and wait. I don't even know what that's like anymore. Because the moment I start to wait, the moment I start to be bored, the moment I start to uh, be put out in any way, what I immediately and instinctively do is I get my phone. I need some stimulation here. So the reality that we probably don't understand is that is we're constantly bombarded by information by text, by notifications on our phone, by social media, by all of these things, what it does is it begins to, to make our, our minds and our hearts just constantly on, like on overdrive. There's no downtime. I mean, probably for most of us, we're terrified of being alone. When was the last time you just sat alone with yourself in quiet with no distractions? we're probably afraid of what might happen if we do that. So all of this drives our anxiety. And in fact, we are in the age of anxiety. Many psychologists and sociologists have, have called our day the age of anxiety. One in, one in three people are on anxiety medications in this day. What does it tell us? We are an anxious people. Now, everything that I've just described were things that were true before COVID. And now, what has COVID done to our lives? It's taken all of these realities. It's taken fear and anxiety and just taken it through the roof in our lives. I mean, we are walking through a moment where right now in our culture, fear is just taking off. There's so many things to be afraid of. 
I mean, there is the real danger of a virus that we cannot see. And everywhere we go, there's a reminder of that. And whether or not you're someone who's just focusing on that every day, probably many of us are doing that. We're checking the stats every day. We're checking the, the media reports every day. And I don't know about you, but whenever I'm checking that all the time, what does it make me do? It makes me be afraid and to fear. So we're, we're constantly aware of this danger that's all around us. And then add on top of that, we're in an election year where everything is being politicized. And you know what the number one political tool is? Every politician knows it. Fear. <laughs> How do you get elected? It's very simple. You have to make people afraid of your opponent. That's all you have to do. And if you can do that, you're going to win the election. And so have everybody doing that same thing. And what do you have? You have a culture that is freaking out. You know our world is doing that right now. Full on panic everywhere around us. And it is hard not to get caught up in that. It's so hard for me. It's hard for me not to give in to fear. Do you find yourself in that place right now? Where all of the, the reports that come, all of the uncertainty about tomorrow and about what might happen, that even if I go out to eat, I might get sick. I mean, there's so much fear and it is so hard not to give in to it, not to be ruled by worry and anxiety, especially in this moment. So we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is essentially Jesus clarifying our calling in the world. You know what our calling is? It's to be salt and light in a world of darkness. That's what we're called to be. If you belong to Jesus this morning, you are called to be salt and light in the world to shine. And man, what an opportunity we have to shine in this day. Where the whole world is freaking out, Jesus calls us to be a non-anxious presence in the world. That's what He's calling us to as believers, that while everybody is in panic, that we would be a people who are rooted in hope, who are not giving in to fear. So the question is, how do you do that? That's what we see in our passage today. So Jesus is addressing this here, addressing worry and fear anxiety, and he gives us two remedies to worry in this passage. The first remedy is faith, and we'll talk about that, but the second remedy is priority. We'll talk about what I mean by that. Faith and priority. But one thing that might be encouraging you to, uh, for you to recognize is the fact that, do you know what the number one command in all of Scripture is? Far and away, hands down. Do not fear. Why do you think that's God's most common command to His people? What does He know about us? He knows that we are deeply prone to fear and to worry and to anxiety. And so Jesus teaches this about this a great deal, and that's the focus of the passage here. But one thing that I want you to notice just in verse 30, just jumping down to verse 30, Jesus, uh, in the middle of this passage, really puts His finger on what is at the heart of all of our fear and worry? What is at the root of it? And ultimately, what is the remedy? And look at what he says in verse 30. Um, Will he not much more clothe you? Second part of it, O you of little faith. He addresses it right there. In addressing and talking about our worry, 
right there, Jesus says, you know, the reality of this is that it's about little faith or unbelief. That's what's at the heart of worry. That whenever we are afraid, whenever we're giving in to fear, whenever we're riddled with, with anxiety and worry, at the heart of that is unbelief. It's a failure to believe and to trust in God and His care of our life. And that's what Jesus is pointing to here. And that's the first thing that He addresses here. Look with me again at it. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not as more important than food? Uh, the thing that Jesus puts His finger on here is just the basic necessities of life. Now here's an interesting thing. For Jesus' ori original audience... The things that they were tempted to be afraid uh, or worry about was the basic realities of life. You know what the basic necessities for life are? Food, clothing, and shelter. Believe it or not, that's all we really need. Now, we have lots of needs in our life, right? So many things in our life where we think, I have to have this. But it's just stunning to me to see, oh my goodness, like, it was actually a day when people actually didn't have basic needs. Now, not to, not to say that you might not be worrying about food. If you're worrying about putting food in your table, please reach out to the church, to the deacons. That's something we can fix. But the reality is, is that we are in such a culture of wealth and affluence that it's hard to even imagine worrying about having a shelter over my head or food on my table. Now, you might think, because we have so much more in our day, we have so many choices, we have plenty in our world, that we wouldn't worry. But the ironic thing is, I think we're far more worried than they were in Jesus' day. It's this irony that the more that you have, the more that you're going to worry. It's just a, an odd reality there. But Jesus starts out here, and I love what He says. You know, what, essentially what, he call, what He's calling us to here is a trust in our Father. But He doesn't just say, you know, your problem is you don't have enough faith, and so you just need to believe, okay? Period. Let's move on. That's not what He does here. I want you to see what He does. What He does is He, using a couple illustrations, just kind of invites us into the heart of His Father. It's just so tender. It's so pastoral. So you can imagine Jesus here. You know, He's on the mountainside. They're outside. Jesus is teaching. Oftentimes when He was teaching outside, He would just find illustrations that they could see right there. And that's what He's doing. He says, why do you worry? Now, starting off that way indicates, first, He knows, He already knows we worry. Why do you worry? In other words, I know you worry. I see all of your worries. I see you're so eaten up with fear. Why do you do that? Look at the birds of the air. You know, probably in that moment, there were some birds flying around. And Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They don't reap or stow away in barns. They're not all worried about their 401k. They're not all worried about their savings account. They're not all, all worried about the bill that's going to show up in the mail the next day. They're not all worried about all that stuff. And yet... Your heavenly Father feeds them every single day. Every meal that they have, God provides that for them. And yet they don't even have to worry about anything. 
And then he looks out at the lilies of the field and he goes, look at the, look at the flowers out in the field. Look at how beautiful they are. Look how beautifully dressed. I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of them. I mean, what an image there. King Solomon at the height of his kingdom. You can only imagine the robes that he wore. The splendor that he was clothed with. And he said, doesn't even compare to the lilies of the field. Look at how beautiful they are. Your heavenly Father clothed them. And yet, they're not nearly as valuable as you. See, that's his point there. Look at his care for these things. Look at him taking care of the birds every single day. Aren't you much more valuable than them? What he's pointing us to is how valuable we are to the Father. Now, for some of us, that might be really hard to even imagine that God even sees me, that He knows me, or that even He cares about me in this way. I imagine for most of us in this room, that just seems so foreign. And we might believe it here, but it's so hard to believe it here. You see, Scripture tells us that God is sovereign so sovereign, in fact, that He knows and tends to every single detail that happens in the world every single moment. Now, if you just start to think about that for a minute, it'll like blow a fuse in your head. It's beyond what we can imagine. And yet, it is the teaching of Scripture. That He's not just speaking in hyperbole here, that God actually feeds every bird in the field. That even in this moment, He is causing our hearts to beat. That every single minute detail of the entire universe is under His preservation and care every single second. And not only is He that intimately in control of all of His creation, He actually loves us. He's our Heavenly Father. He cares for us. See, that's what Jesus is pointing us to. He says, if you just see this, worry comes up by the roots. If, if you just deeply knew the Father's intimate care for you, what would you worry about? You know, imagine that for most of us, in the area of our worry and anxiety, what we most need is just to meditate on that. It's just to to let the truth that Jesus is speaking. He does not lie. He is saying this. The Father is in control of everything. You are precious to Him. You are His child. He is going to take care of you. His heart is good towards you. For most of us, probably what we need is just to sit with that truth and just let it wash over your heart. Just let Jesus speak that into your heart where you begin to believe it. But that's... That's a remedy for worry. Well, we believe that. Will you believe the Father's care for you in that way? And will you believe it when things get really scary? Will you believe it when worry seems to be running rampant in your life? So, that's Jesus' first remedy for our worry. It's faith. Will we believe in the heart of the Father? But secondly, and I actually think this is the larger point for him. I think this is the main thing in the passage, and it's priority. 
What is your priority? Getting the right priority is the ultimate remedy for our faith. Now look at what he says right here. Right off the bat, we read it in verse 25, but I just want to go back to it and point it out. It's kind of what he introduces the passage with. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. And then here, here's what I want you to notice. Is life not more important than these things? Is life not more important than food and clothing and shelter? Those things are pretty important. But you see what Jesus is saying here. The problem with worry is that you have made things too important than what they really are. Now, that's a big thing to say about basic necessities of life, and yet Jesus is saying it here. The problem with worry, and it's always the case, is that we've made some good thing in our life of ultimate importance. Our priorities are out of whack. And when I'm worrying about something, worry and fear, it always demonstrates our loves. It always demonstrates what's most precious to us, what's most valuable to us. If it wasn't valuable, I wouldn't worry about it, right? It always points us to our priorities. And Jesus is saying the problem with worry is that you've elevated something to ultimate importance that is not ultimate importance. And what you need to have is your priorities straight. Once you get the right thing at number one, everything else is just kind of rightly oriented. And that's what Jesus says in verse 33, which is like the lead verse of the passage. Verse 33, this is the payload of the passage. Here's what he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says that's the ultimate remedy to worry and fear. Seek first the Father's kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else will be taken care of. To seek first means to make it first in your life. Top priority. This is what I'm living for. This is my desire. This is my hope. This is what my heart is fixed on is number one in my life. And Jesus says, if that's your number one, you ain't going to worry about nothing. You see how it reorients everything? What does it mean to seek first His kingdom? Well, it means I'm not seeking first my kingdom. To seek first His kingdom means His priorities in my life and in the world take precedence over mine. To seek first His kingdom means His will is more important than my will. His glory than my glory. The only way to seek first His kingdom is if my kingdom and my agenda and my priorities become second. That's the only way. But when that happens, it uproots worry. What, is it, what does he mean by the kingdom? And we've talked about this a lot. And this, this is the heart of Jesus' teaching, the kingdom of God. I mean, that was really the heart. The gospel of the kingdom was the heart of his teaching. We've seen it in the Sermon on the Mount. Every single passage, he's teaching about the kingdom of God. Just right before this, he teaches about prayer. You know, the Lord's prayer, how does it begin? It begins with the priority of God's kingdom. Your kingdom come. Not mine. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. That's what it means for God's kingdom to come. It means for God's rule to come into my life. It means for His reign to come into the world. 
It means for what, how he th wants things to be to become a reality. In me, in my community, and in my world. That is the kingdom of God. It's his reign coming into the world. And that is to be our priority in our life. That that's what we would live for. And listen, when God's glory becomes your greatest priority, worry cannot exist. Now, the problem, of course, is how do I get there? We'll talk about that in a second. How do I get to where His glory is more important to me than anything else in my life? But that's what Jesus is saying here. If your first thing, if your highest desire is God's glory in your life, you will not worry. Let me just give an example here. I'm going to take a fear that probably a lot of us have felt at least at one point during this season. The fear of getting sick. None of us wants to get sick. I don't want to get COVID. But you see, if, if I'm seeking first His kingdom, then it begins to reorient how I would think about this potentiality of getting sick. And that's what worry does, by the way. You're looking into the future. You're imagining something happening. You know, usually our, our fears don't actually happen. We don't ever think about that. But... We're imagining something happening in the future. And so if I'm seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, then I would look at that and say, okay, well, if I do get sick, of course it's a possibility, is there a way for God to be glorified in my life in that way? Is there a way, if I get sick, for Him to use that in my life to grow me, to make me more like Jesus? And is there a way, if I get sick, if that actually did happen, is there a way for me to be sick in a way that glorifies Jesus? That I would respond to that in a way that people would look at my life and say, wow, His hope's not in this world. Is there a way for Him to get glory in my life through that? The answer, of course, is yes, of course. It's often through suffering and loss that God's most glorified in our life. And so if, if that's my highest priority, then I look at that and I say, Okay, I don't want to get sick, but if I do, it's going to be okay. Because God's going to get glory here. See how it destroys worry? You know, I don't want to lose my job. Another worry we might have. I don't want to lose my job. I don't, I don't want to be laid off. You know, what if the coworkers are like saying things to the boss and he fires me? And, you know, those are worries we probably have. But wait a minute, you know, if I do lose my job, is there a way for God... To be glorified there? Is there a way for His kingdom to come? Would, that, would God maybe use that in my life? Would maybe how I handle that, could I glorify God in that? Yes. You see what it does to that fear? It just loses its power. Because His kingdom, His glory, all that we're one day going to get, you cannot lose it. Oh man, if we could just get that. You can let go of the things of this world. You know, if I lost a child, and I do not want to lose a child, is there a way for God to be glorified in that? Is there a way for God to use a tragedy in my life to make me more like Jesus? Is there a way for Him to be glorified in me and how I cling to Him in the deepest pain of my life? Yeah, there's a way. In fact, you know what? I've got some friends that have walked through that. I know some people who could stand up here and tell you the story about how God has used that very thing in their life. And so when I begin to think about that and I begin to say, God, oh, I want my kingdom so bad, but I want yours more. 
it just cuts the worry out at the roots. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's about priority. If you want His kingdom, you can't ever lose that. It sets you free from worry and fear. Now, let me just close with this. What does it mean to seek first His kingdom? You know, it's essentially to seek the face of Jesus. You know, the kingdom of God is embodied in all of its fullness in the person of Jesus. He is the ultimate embodiment of the kingdom because the kingdom is all about the king. The most wonderful thing about heaven that one day will come down to the earth is the king. Not all of the amazing rewards and blessings we're going to get, and it's beyond what we can even fathom, but the most ultimate thing about the kingdom is the king. Beholding his beauty and glory. So if you want to seek God's kingdom, you know where it starts and what it flows from? Seeking the face of Jesus. Beholding His beauty and glory and power. That's how, that's how our hearts get changed from wanting my kingdom. That's the most natural thing in the world. I want my kingdom. I want my will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does that get changed? Only as I behold the beauty and the glory of Jesus. When I just fix my eyes on who He is, His love, His power, His majesty, what He's done, how it set me free, it changes our hearts. So that's where seeking the kingdom begins. So let me stop there and I just want to give us a few moments to discuss this together. Uh, if you're new here, we do this each week. It's a time to just discuss the passage. And, um, and so I want to ask, how, how does that affect you? What, how does that move you or challenge you, puzzle you? Let's talk about it for a few moments. And you can, I'll restate the questions or the comments so that we can hear. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, just, just making a great comment about John chapter 17, how Jesus talks about His glory being manifested in the body of Christ, and in particular in our unity, which is huge in this moment of utter division in our world. You know, and I mean, that's a huge thing for us in our culture, because we tend to think, in, in just in, in Western culture, we think of ourselves as individuals. It's so hard to think people, body, uh, community together. It's one of the greatest challenges, but that's what the idea of the body of Christ means, that like we are the physical presence of Jesus in the world. We are the dwelling of God in the earth, you know, because the Spirit of Jesus lives in us together. You know, we, when we hear that, we think, me individual temple. That's not what he means. He means we are the temple. God's presence is in us. So when we are gathered together, when we are physically together, we are beholding Jesus physically present with us in one another. So it's huge. It just changes the priority of worship. And I think one of the challenges we have in this time of distraction is just drifting away from this, gathering together as a body. And it's, it's huge. Thanks for that comment. Yeah, Corey. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Corey was sharing a time that their family walked through. How many years ago now? Eight or nine years ago, uh, a tragic car accident, and uh, one of their which uh, was it? Jonathan, Drake, Drake, in like severe in injury and in a halo for how long? Twelve weeks, and but he he was talking about how during that time, and I mean, man, that gets here because I have those kind of fears. But during that time, he said what got him through was this. Re- remembering God's goodness and preaching that to yourself, right? Of like, God is good in this. He has good purposes. He's going to bring life through this. And that's really where the rubber meets the road because <laughs> we can believe that whenever all is going well, but whenever hardship, you know, uncertainty, tragedy comes, it's, you figure out what you really believe and you have an opportunity to grow in what you want to believe and so it's preaching that truth to yourself that helps you to get through that. It's so hard for us to imagine, you know, as we're imagining scenarios that we're afraid of. We don't envision God in the picture in the circumstances. You notice that? You know, when you're thinking about something that might happen in the future and you're worrying about it, you ever notice God's not there in your mind? You know, we remove Him from the equation, which ruins the whole equation. Right? We, it's so hard to imagine, yeah, but no matter what happens, God will be present with me in here, bringing about my good. He's working all things for my good. So, I think what oftentimes we just, we just listen to our worries rather than use the gospel on our worries. And it is, worry is a spiritual reality. Fundamentally. Any other thoughts or comments? Yes. Yes. Exactly. She's she talking about a song that this really resonated, brought to mind of, uh, do I trust you, Lord? Um, you know, it's not just what I know, but do, it, does my heart trust you? And that's really the ultimate question. I mean, you know, I really feel like I know theology. And, and I could... I could score fairly well on a theology test. I know all the answers. But in the moment, the question is not what do I know here, but what do I really believe and trust here? And that's the question for all of us. What does my heart trust? And so often what we find in life is that in my heart, I'm not really believing this. And that, that's an invitation to actually begin to believe it, to preach it to our heart. That's why we study Scripture. You know, we talk a lot about studying Scripture. I hope you're reading through the Sermon on the Mount as we're going through this. You know, we're listening so much to social media and the media and friends and people around the water cooler at work who are real experts on all of life and COVID and all this stuff. And we're listening to all these voices. Most of them are fear-based. And, and yet we're not listening to God. And like, so how are we going to be non-anxious if we're not taking in His Word. But the goal of taking in His Word is not just to know more or to go through the duty of reading the Bible. It's that my heart begins to believe. It's that I begin to fall in love with Jesus. That's the goal in reading Scripture. 
See, it's so easily we think duty. I need to do more of this. No, I need Jesus. Well, where do I find him? In his word. Okay, let me close this in prayer. Lord Jesus, um, I really want to long for your glory and your kingdom more than my own. And I want that for all of us in here. For our deepest heart's delight and longing would be that you be magnified in our lives. As the Apostle Paul says, whether by life or by death, it really doesn't matter to me. I just want you to be magnified. Like that feels like a million miles away to us, probably. Would you work in our hearts by your grace and by your spirit that we would actually come to seek your glory and your kingdom and your purposes above our own. And in that place, be set free from worry. Come and work in our hearts. Help us to be salt and light in this world that so desperately needs it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.